0: People for Peace, Pods of Consciousness, Planetary Citizens, wherever you happen to be today listening to Glocal news in social artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton. Uh, I'm actually live in the studio today for the first time in well over a year, and I'm here with my wife, Marcia. Hi. And guess who is running the board and my guest today? None other than Lee Ruth. Long yes,
1: exactly twelve hours ago, I was running the same board and end my my three to five a.m.
0: Yes, your Thursday th-
1: morning show.
0: You have uh, you've had a show on this uh, station for since it started? Yeah. Which was 73, 1973?
1: Yeah. March of seventy three, early March.
0: Fantastic! Wow, Marsha, no, no, no. are you a student of Lee Ruth?
1: yes i am
0: for since uh maybe 2012 or something like that
1: yes we 2013 were, maybe we played guitar together yes. on a semi-weekly basis and i showed you how to do things and you mostly learned them so was, yeah. <laughs>
0: mostly, mostly learned them. that's pretty good yeah. i guess
1: <laughs> well i'm still i've mostly learned a bunch of stuff too i am still working <laughs> on it and I've slid, backslid considerably in the last year and a half. Since COVID, is that it? Uh, yeah, since this whole COVID thing came along. I have no, no lessons, no gigs. And, and, uh,
0: and where do we make donations?
1: <laughs> oh, well.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's really uh-huh. hit a lot of artists really hard to uh, not be able to have those places to play.
1: And people to teach
0: And teaching, right, yeah
1: Well, welcome,
0: uh, Lee Ruth You're a, a social artist as well You're building a more humane world uh, As best you know how You're a legend in Columbia uh, I
1: like to tell people that I'm more of a rumor
0: than a legend uh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've heard that one
0: well, I think some, something legendary about your beard and it and had flashing lights in your beard or some, some legendary story it about that. It
1: used to be red, too. People told, me, people told me about that. I said, yeah. It's something that just started, only started happening about... Well, I've been in Columbia since 1962, and I was already more or less an adult when I moved to town. I was uh, 20, almost 21 years old, and moved here with my parents and had an opportunity for me to go back to college after a couple years out of school. And, uh, and I brought my several guitars with me and I didn't know that I, whether I was headed, whether I really was headed for a musical life or not, but I thought I was sort of hoping for it, even though it didn't have anything to do with the school. And it worked out. That that's what ended. What I ended up doing. Yeah.
0: Who were some of the people you met back in those early days that uh, helped uh, juice your musical um, style and and uh, interest? Can you give a shout out for some folks back
1: then? Well, the first person that I met, that I actually still know the name of it, who still lives here in Columbia, was Jim Straub. Straub. And uh, I met him uh, maybe the first day that I was up at the Student Union at the University, about the time the semester started. But uh, I met a— I had a a class— a class I had that first semester in town was Astronomy Astronomy 1. And there was a— Dark-haired guy from West Plains, Missouri, that sat next to me in the class. His name was Michael Cochran. Michael
0: Cochran. Wow. (laughs) And
1: uh, about about three weeks into the semester, we discovered we both played guitar. And sometime in around October, late October, early November, we actually got together. I was living off campus, and he was living in a dorm. And I went up to the dorm with 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 a guitar, and he was there, and we sat down, and we played a bunch of stuff and talked about what we knew how to play and what we liked, and and we're still guitar buddies from after 49, almost 49 years now, or 59, almost 59 years.
0: Yeah, I met Michael Cochran in the uh, late 50s, early six. well. He came
1: to town the same semester that I started,
0: 62. 62, okay. And I had just started uh, college as well in '62, so I, I didn't get in the same class. But uh, he was doing work around town and painter yeah. and antique store. Yeah, he did. And,
1: yeah, he did a bunch of other stuff. But he it didn't take him very long before he had a a, a man going in town. Some some of his friends from West Plains were up here too, and, and uh, I didn't find anybody to to. Playing At that time, I was uh, still in the closet with my folk singing thing, <laughs> trying to get that playing and singing at the same time together to where I felt like I was fit for other human ears besides my own to hear. But uh, I was playing guitar and electric guitar in bands, and I found some people to play with my second semester of my first year in Columbia. At the university and played in a band until summer, and then went off to Oregon with a, with a friend I'd made that year to look for summer work, mm-hmm. which I did, which I found, and and had a wonderful summer.
0: Was that your forest ranger work?
1: Well, it was. A, I ended up working for the Forest Service and out of Oregon, Oregon, the Willamette National Forest, and. Got a job as a lookout. Yeah. Uh, the day I walked into the ranger station in Oak Ridge and looking for work, if I hadn't, if I didn't find anything, I was going to make the, round, the rounds of all the ranger stations that were in the at That day, I had figured it out on a map how I could go from <laughs> one to one. The second one I went to was Oak Ridge, and the, the fire control officer—I can't think of what his name was—I could picture him though. <laughs> in my mind. Walked in the back room, I guess, in the next, the ranger's office. I think his name was Al something. And he came back out and said, would you be willing to take a job as a lookout for the summer? And I said, yeah. Yeah, I'd do that. I'd, I'd, le- I'd love to take a shot at that. He said, okay, you got to be back here next Friday, and we're going to send you up to, along with a whole bunch of other new summer employees to fire guard school up at McKenzie Bridge, Oregon, and, and uh, so you need to be here Friday morning to, to uh, for this weekend class that we're going to you and everybody else is going to take, and then you won't be going up on the lookout until probably July because it's still snow snow covered up the, the way up there is still snow covered, and there's no fire danger. So we're going to have you working around the ranger station for for about three weeks or so. So anyway. I ended up with this lookout job and I was up there for seven weeks. Had a mountain, believe it or not, Fuji Mountain. Oh my lookout, goodness.
0: <laughs>
1: at about 7,100 feet above sea level and just above the tree line. So I didn't have a tower but I was right at the top of a, you know, on one side to the north, north, northeast was a cliff that dropped off a couple hundred feet which I could have jumped into from off the 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 walk around on the on the on the my fire
0: I guess you had your guitar with you
1: I had two guitars with me
0: yeah so that was
1: you know they packed me into my gear up there for the summer and all the stuff I was going to need on a couple mules two (laughs) mules and a and a and a a a mule driver who hauled hauled, and I had to walk up myself Ah. which which was exhausting and the mosquitoes were buzzing around and all. I had I had seven hundred feet above sea level lungs mm. and at seven thousand feet in elevation. Going up from Gold Lake to Fuji Mountain. Then I got up there about five in the afternoon and the ranger or the the packer took everything off the mule made sure I, that, that I was able to get into the lookout. so said, i got to head back and left me standing with this pile of stuff and, and this empty, just open lookout station. And that was probably one of the most forlorn moments of my life for, for about 20 minutes. And then I thought, I better get to work, get all this stuff packed in there.
0: Did you... Uh... Were you a songwriter at that time? Or at did you? that
1: time, I dabbled in it, but I, I only had two songs that, 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 that ended up uh, staying with me. And both of them somebody did on the Everybody's Got Love project of people singing my songs, which was a benefit for KOPN on our 30th anniversary in 19, 2003. 2003. So anyway, that summer there was a lot to do on the lookout, but there was also a lot of dead time, and I had two guitars there, yeah. and I had bought bought a uh, a radio, a transistor radio, so that I could keep listening to outside. My only contact with the outside was a a two-way radio, which I had to talk. You know, I would talk to other people on other lookouts and people at the ranger station when there was forest service business to transact I had to sign on in the morning sign off at night and report anything that was out of the ordinary that I saw Mm -hmm. from there but I had time to to work on my the playing and singing thing and
0: uh, so you came back to Columbia did you finish
1: school? Uh, yeah, I took two more sessions,
0: mm-hmm. and, uh, but
1: before I did, I, I had done a semester at the university, and I did one more semester, and got kicked out of school, and then I was off for a semester and a half, and then I went back to school. and Missed the military. 1995. Well, there had a student deferment during that period of time, and then... Then I was married with a kid, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I ended up, uh, when I got got divorced, about five years later, I went back into the draft pool, and that's when they had the first lottery. Oh, okay. And uh, I ended up with the number 210, and I think that first year in the lottery, they only got up to 192. (laughs) So they were... Knocking um, on
0: your door, but not quite there. They almost
1: got to my my door. Yeah.
0: So, how did uh, what what involvement did you have with the starting of KOPN, or or did you? How did you know what was going on here?
1: Well, there there's a, there was a musical community in Columbia, and and then starting about 1965, there was this alternative, quote unquote, hippie. Thing just just exploded in Columbia. It was about half a half a school year behind, maybe places like Berkeley and and uh, maybe Boulder, Colorado. They were college towns also, but Mm -hmm. and uh, so there was a musical community. When I was already connected with that because I'd I'd been playing in bands and starting in the fall of '64 or '63 after I got back from the Lookout. There started to be local local acoustic music players got together and and had have their own hootenannies and things where you just a bunch of people would get together and take turns playing songs, and play them together, or play them separately, or whatever, and talk about it. And there started to be a lot of that, and started to be an occasional place where you could even maybe find a gig playing playing. A, acoustic guitar and singing songs, mm-hmm. though there wasn't too much of that right away. But uh, I continued to play in bands, playing electric guitar in a series of bands between 1963 and 19. later, later part of 1968 when I completely bailed on electric guitar just kind of gave up on it for. Yeah. For I got more interested. I I was better at the acoustic stuff, and it was more interesting to me than. Also, by 1968, the amplifiers that people were playing through, like guitar players were playing through, were as tall as the, and there was no way I was going to be able to keep up with that mm-hmm. equipment thing that was going on. So, anyway.
0: Yeah. So, again, moving on up to seventy-three. So,
1: so, so anyway, I continued to, to. I so I started teaching guitar in in nineteen sixty-five. I taught on I taught on home for a few months after. Well, I I went to New York for the winter of sixty-four and sixty-five with my first wife. And. And she was pregnant at the time, and we we lasted three months trying to make the scene. I was trying to connect it with the New York City Greenwich Village Greenwich Village uh, music scene, mm-hmm. and uh, I played played a lot there, and that, that was good for me. But I, there was no money to be made, and I ended up having to also do day labor out of an employment office to to keep paying the rent, and then I'd go back out at night and play the basket houses in Greenwich Village. And go back home and get up at seven in the morning and go down to the, the, the employment office and see if, any, if there were any day labor calls came in—ended up shoveling sidewalks after it snowed and cleaning an office one time and, and unloading a boxcar with several other workers full of uh, diving boards that weighed anywhere from 90 pounds up to about 150. and. Uh, Anyway, so did you just got completely burned out and there, and we headed back to Columbia.
0: You didn't bump into Bob Dylan out there, did you?
1: Well, actually, almost. <laughs> I actually was playing in a. There was one of the little coffee houses that I was playing at was up, was on the street level above a basement cafe called the Gaslight, and above that was a, a restaurant that was the kettle of, called the Kettle of Fish. And that those were all. That was where all the insiders hung out. You know, the, the people who were already established and and part of the scene. And I'd, I used to be able to, I, in between my the, the basket houses, I was playing. You'd make a route, a circuit of, you know, three three or four different places a night. You'd do play about 15 minutes and pass the basket, and then you'd walk down to the next one with your instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And play another fifteen or twenty minutes set past the basket, mm-hmm. if there was anybody there. Mm-hmm. So anyway, one of these basket houses was right up, this right up above, and one window over from the the kettle of fish upstairs and the and the gaslight cafe. I could sometimes get in there for the last set of somebody playing on uh, a Mississippi John Hurd or somebody like that would be playing, Buffy St. Marie. But uh, I was playing in this, this basket house, and I glanced towards the, the front door and there was a guy peering in the window looking at me about 25 feet away, and I thought, that looks a lot like Bob Dylan. <laughs> and when I finished my set there and went outside, they had a guy out there on the street that's called a drag, or, or I guess a drag. He was dragging, trying to drag people off the street and get them into the coffee house. He would People mm-hmm. would walk by, and he would lay some kind of wrap on them. And, and if, if he talked them into, so Dylan would walk by, and, of course, he recognized Dylan, and he told Dylan that to... Check out what was going on in the coffeehouse. So Dylan walked up to the door and looked in. <laughs> so anyway, there was quite a buzz because he was no longer—he was already a star.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: By the winter of '64-'65. Yeah, and uh, he wasn't hanging out in the village much. But he came down there looking for somebody at the at the Gaslight, and then he supposedly went up. The story was that he went uptown somewhere to to a party. That was the only time I saw him in yeah. New York. Well, for those of you crazy. that are
0: tuned in and haven't heard that uh, this is Glocal News in Social Artistry, I'm Dick Dalton, the host. Uh, Lee Ruth, uh, longtime Colombian, is our guest. I'm here with my wife, who has uh, been a guitar student of Lee's and gone on a, a trip or so. Uh, you all went out to the East Coast, didn't you, to Jack Williams' uh, place, Marsha? Yes, it was in Columbia, South Carolina. It was the Edisto River, and the town was Denmark.
1: The nearest town of of any size, I think, was Denmark.
0: Yeah. And I met a rattlesnake. (laughs) (laughs) Not a rattlesnake, I met a a water water. moccasin. A cottonmouth. I think a water moccasin, that's what my. Yeah, there were some in the
1: Edisto River there and the swamps around it. So I what's believe.
0: it what's it like to go to uh, this This is not the only place you've gone where there's a whole bunch of guitar players. What you you take Arena, your wife, and uh, pack the little trailer uh, often, don't you?
1: Well, I have done that, you know, a number of times in my life, but I never. I discovered I had children back back in Columbia when I when I started doing some traveling in the in the nineties. Early to mid 1970s, when I was already in my 30s and, and divorced, and and I, I I pretty didn't take me too long to figure out that there wasn't any future for me as a road musician. that wasn't going to work. I wanted to, so I spent a bunch of summers out in Colorado. You know, we should direct this back to the 1973 and KOPN, a, a musical community community, an alternative. Lifestyle community formed in Columbia between 1965 and into the 70s, and still is still here. And uh, so, in 1972, I guess it was, when people there was a a friend of mine named Francis Morris who had put he and some friends had put together a little alternative newspaper. Called the issue or something like that. I'm not sure if that was the name of it, mm-hmm. but anyway, they had they had a, they had a little office on Tenth Street, and the, the initial meeting for KOPN organization organization of, of the community radio station for Columbia met in his quarters there, where his little alternative newspaper office was in '72. And one of the people that was part of it was a man named Jeff Mintz, who had been a, a commercial DJ on a station in Columbia, and the first person in Columbia to, to have an alternative approach to playing something other than just the, the top 40 hits of the day. Mm-hmm. They gave him a kind of free reign on the show, and he was a very good programmer of, of American pop, rock, and related music. And he had lost his job doing that when they changed their format. the format. Station did we weren't making enough money doing that. I guess mm. I don't know. I don't even remember what station it was. Well, mm-hmm. his name was Jeff Mintz. and I had come, I knew him from having heard him on the air and seen him around town, and we got him sort of to be friends. And uh, when KOPM was started, one of the things was keeping this alternative music thing expanding on it considerably over just pop music alternative, but oh, world music, world of music alternative approach to programming music for the people in Columbia to hear. And uh, there was no, Columbia has a vast archive of recorded music now, but in 1973, when we were going to be going on the air, there was no music collection. There was probably a handful of albums maybe, you know, a few, maybe there had been a few people that donated, so they were they were looking for people who had their own music collections, you know, records, tapes, whatever, to become music programmers for the new station. And so Jeff Mintz knew that I had a fairly substantial collection of music. I probably had a thousand forty-fives L- and about a thousand LPs by that time that I accumulated, and so. I got drafted I was I was you know part of the group that the collective that came together to program music on KOPN and because all my music was at home I decided it didn't make much sense to try to bring it down to the station and play it on the air and put together so I started I had recording equipment so I, I would put together an hour show every week hmm. At home, using oh. my my record collection, mm-hmm. 45s and LPs, and also live, tapes of live music that I had from various places here and there, I could put it all together and into an out, try to make some kind of a package out of it every week. I had an opening musical theme and a closing musical song that I played, and then in between it, I would just play other stuff and. This, this, this show was called Music from Me to You. I need a drink of this water here.
0: And so you had uh, a reel-to-reel back in those days. Is that, was that the main uh, recording
1: tool? Well, cassette machines had really just started to come into play. Oh, they had in already. In that period of time. There were portables, but but high-fidelity quality to where you could actually make... Pretty good quality recordings on cassettes were just coming in. So I had reel to reel at that time, yeah. but I had to make things that I could play in my car and on a, on a cobbled together CD player or cassette player kind of a thing with something, some kind of little amplifier running off of batteries, rather than you know, not try, you know couldn't yeah. try to no way to hook it through the the radio in the car. Mm-hmm. Was this is something I could take in and out of the car, connect it to a battery, some way, and then I could play music. So I had, so I had a Reel to reel was was a good format for me because I could put an hour, an hour show, pretty ac- pretty accurately timed on on a reel.
0: Right. And this was uh, mostly folk, or did you? It, was, all- a of, it was a
1: mixture. It was mixture from my whole collection of everything uh-huh. from starting in the, by the mid-1950s with some 45s. It was, it, by then, it was, a, it was pretty eclectic. I had rock and roll going back to the mid-50s, and I had blues, country blues, and city blues records, and I had country music, and I had mm-hmm. classical guitar and jazz guitar, and, and, and jazz piano playing, and just a, a whole hodgepodge of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and all these different kinds of music kind of made connections in my head and in my, my thinking process and my listening process. And so I tried to put things together that made some kind of sense to me.
0: And the name and of your show again was at that time?
1: Music From Me to You. Okay. And it was on.
0: How long did that go before you shifted gears? Well,
1: 73... To about 77 or about four 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 and a half years something like that but the station was we were only on daytime and we were only 10 watts for into for for a year and a half or two years there when we went to 40,000 watts and 74 maybe or something like that a year a year and a half later and we went 24 hours a day
0: hmm
1: and the uh, to do a show in those days, to be in charge of the station, you had to have a, a an FCC third class license uh-huh. from Federal Communications Commission to to be in charge of the radio station. You could be a, you could do a show, but there had to be somebody in attendance at the station in the in house that was actually had a third class license. Wow. You mm-hmm. had to pass a test to get that license, mm-hmm. and the tests were given in either St. Louis or Kansas City. I can't remember which it was. And you had to study. There was a book that you could study. You could get a hold of this book pretty cheap from from the government, I think, mm-hmm. and uh, probably from the FCC. And you would study it, and then you'd go in and take a particular course. But in in I think it was late winter of '73, '74, or or early spring, KBI or, K- the universities. Uh, Public station went on the air a few months before we did. Oh, I didn't In realize maybe that. Maybe the fall of fall of 72, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they, of course, the journalism school had a, a, a broadcasting <laughs> arm. You know, they, they had people that were, were going to be going into the newspaper, magazine publishing as journalists. But they also had people that were going to be going into radio or television. Mm -hmm. And so they needed to get these people, they had a bunch of people every semester that needed to get third-class licenses to be able to do what the station, what the journalism school wanted them to do in the local radio and TV station. So they kind of collaborated with KOPN and had this FCC come to Columbia and do a morning class at some auditorium on campus Mm the University of Missouri campus and then have the test which took an hour or two hmm. after the class hmm. in the early afternoon and then they would grade the tests and you would know before you left whether you passed or not. And so about K O P. N probably added about thirty so there was a recruiting thing went on here at the station to get as many volunteers as possible to go yeah. up there and study for the test and then take the test. Yeah. And take take you could take the class and and might be able to pass the test if you, even if you hadn't studied the book mm-hmm. beforehand. So anyway,
0: so you got so a, right
1: at that point of the time. Then a lot of people became available mm-hmm. to start doing shows, but I didn't uh, get on board with it. Or oh, you didn't? Okay. No, mm-hmm. no. I was still doing the same shows, and it still made more sense to try to connect, to put it together at home than to yeah. try to bring all all that stuff down here. To, to, into the production room and try to put together something mm-hmm. to put on a reel-to-reel tape. So anyway, come a spring of 1976, I decided to take on a, 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 a late-night spot. I'd, I'd gotten hooked on late-night radio listening to KOPN when we went 24 hours a day. In fact, it cut into my own late-night <laughs> Uh, Night owl. Uh, that was my musical work time, my oh, okay. musical recreation time. Mm-hmm. I did my recor- recording at home and practicing songs and working on guitar parts and mm-hmm. and uh, and listening to music and getting lyrics off of records to possibly learn them to sing myself. And but all that was but. But to listen to listening to KOPN all night, I couldn't. I got hooked on it. Yeah, the music. You know, it was, it was a virtually uninterrupted. I think we had you know a different programmer each night of the week. It might have been called All Night Images or something like that. It went from midnight to five or six in the morning. One person each day day of the week had a you know, different people had to have the show and so there was quite a wide variety of different kinds of music got played, mm-hmm. and. There wasn't, and people were people who had recordings of talk recordings. You know, di- different people giving talks and speeches and uh, things. There was a, there was a bunch of talk that got broadcast on the air, but some of it was really interesting too. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just got to the point where I was hooked on it. And I wasn't getting anything done with my whole thing I mine. I had to just kind of go cold turkey on. How much I would allow myself to listen to KOPN At night <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: Well Lee We're anxious for you to Sing us a song So uh, I know you got your guitar With I brought you the
1: guitar, And I brought a couple things that are On recordings that are related to KOPN
0: too. Okay And folks uh, this is live today yeah. On KOPN We're down at the studio with Lee Ruth
1: you know, I'm actually usually have somebody that's in here to engineer for you, but this time I'm kind of part of the yes. And then you have your, your guest usually over on that side with you, right ne- next to you.
0: Yes, uh, and you're the engineer and the guest at the same time, so we're double yeah, so duty in you.
1: I'm having a lot of fun. All right, <laughs> uh, actually, when I started doing Radio Omega in 1976. One of the things I started doing is having friends of mine come up at three in the morning, and we play live music for the for the whole show. Sometimes, That's I think like the first one I ever did, oh. I had had yeah. I had Jerome Wheeler and Steve Hutchison come up and oh, play wow. the whole whole three hours or three and a half hours. I think it was on three to six thirty at that time. Well, folks
0: remember Jerome Wheeler and. All the things he did here.
1: Well, he, he was a, a, a kingpin of the music, Columbia music scene from the time he hit town in 1964, I think. The, yeah, it would have been 1964, the fall of 1964. he had lived in Columbia before that when he was still in school, I think, public schools. And Steve Hutchison came to, I think he came to Columbia in 1965 and became part of the acoustic music scene in Columbia, the folk music scene in Columbia. So they came up and played with me. And most of the shows that I did with live music, I recorded them on reel-to-reel tapes because we have reel-to-reels behind us uh-huh. where there's an empty wall now. Well, it's not empty, it's full of <laughs> paper pasted to it. Anyway... What I, th- what I thought I'd play here is when I got this late-night show, I named it Radio Omega. You know, Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And this was really basically, even though it was a Wednesday morning, it was actually still Tuesday night in my to my sensibilities. Mm-hmm. You know? And the, the, the classical music, I think we had classical music that followed it started just by, when we went all night. So there was a classical music program behind it and, and that was the first show of the, really the new day. And so I figured that was Radio Alpha, probably. <laughs> Whatever was on after me was Radio Alpha, and I was Radio Omega. But uh, the name from it, however, came from a few years earlier, and it would have been probably about January of 1972 or February there was a, a great concert at the university a, a young man who named Gary Burton who was a, a, from the Midwest pretty much and he played vibes he was a jazz player hmm. but he'd kind of come out of a country part of the, you know he came out of uh, Nashville Tennessee and in, in Indiana maybe and, and he, would, he had kind of he played with four sticks instead of two two mallets he had four and two on wow. his hand hmm. and he was. He had a band, the Gary Burton Quartet, that was playing at Jesse Auditorium. I'd gone up to see his, he and his band play, and there was a great bunch of music. And and uh, oh, this this would have been. 70, I said, said it was '72. And so I went up to the Shea Coffee House afterwards, which was one of the places I hung out. The, the Shea. Shea. The Shea Chandel, <laughs> which is on Tenth Street. Yeah. And the basement of the church there, next to where the ragtag is. So anyway, the, I went into the shay, and there were three young men there that looked like they were not much, barely out of high school. There were, that I'd never seen before, they were playing. And they were doing, the lead singer was a tall, thin guy. And he was playing an acoustic guitar, I think a nylon string guitar, which i got in my hands. I've got one in my hands right now. Uh, and, and the guy that was playing lead guitar, electric guitar, and they had an electric bass player. And they were doing his original songs, the, the, the rhythm guitar the acoustic guitar player's original songs. And they were calling themselves the, the Albert Kinslow Band. Hmm. The, and uh, he and his brother were the, the McLean brothers from Liberty, Missouri. Huh. And they, they had this band. And coming off that Gary Burton thing, I came into something that was just as exciting to me. Wow! These original songs that were not like anybody else's songs, and well played and well performed. And it's day. one of the songs that they played was a song called "Radio Omega,"
0: oh, okay. which was,
1: uh, which is a, a lovely little tune about projected into the, some future on planet Earth where humans were at peace with each other on the planet. And, and that's what the song was about. In this future time, Radio Omega, the, the final ev- evolution of, of a radio station there. And I thought, I thought at the time, I thought if I ever had a late night radio show, I would name it Radio Omega. <laughs> so four years later, I had one. And I had met, I become friends with these guys and I'd learned, gotten recordings of, of a bunch of their music and I'd learned that song and several others. Okay. So anyway, Radio Omega. I've been playing this to close my show since 1976 now. Catch your breath on Ellis Island Gem of like they said Place your tooth beneath your pillow Not your head Learn the teacher talks Of dungeon's crabby cane And hellish rains Centuries ago They jousted In aeroplanes Willie Mays Just hit a homer For the millionth time I'm told and he's not the slave of green things that you fold. Settle down, space-weary children, you've had far... This is Radio Omega
0: And that was Lee Ruth, Radio Omega. I got goosebumps, I don't know, going up and down my spine and arms. Beautiful, Lee. Very nice. A
1: song, you know, was written by a, a kid, you know, about 19, 18, 19, 20 years old, something mm-hmm. like that. With and, a vision. Yeah.
0: Kid with a vision. Beautiful.
1: I've lost track of where he is. He's mm-hmm. disappeared from my radar 20 or 30 years ago. Hmm.
0: Well, yes, folks, that's live. This is live music. This is right here at uh, KOPN in Columbia, Missouri, your community radio station. Been here since 1973, uh, right here in the Dalton Building on uh, East Broadway. And uh, soon uh, we'll see if there's other, other digs that we can... That might be more accessible.
1: Who knows? Who knows? We're we're hoping. Well, I think that's I think that's that's something that's in the works right now. Yeah. Well, so you've been, uh, you've you've been said, connected with some build this building longer than I have. You know, your dad <laughs> it was your dad's, right?
0: Yeah, it was my dad's building, and uh, I camped out here before uh, anybody else was.
1: Uh, the food court through was the first uh,
0: yeah mark heim uh, i met him up here uh just across from where ernie's is and uh we chatted and found out he had uh an idea for a a food co-op in columbia because he lived on a farm not too far to the east and i talked to my dad and they partnered up and he took over the front of the building and uh, perry spray built the uh, back staircase the first one was out of wood and got all the, you know, permits and all. And and the Help Yourself Center was uh, at its beginning, at its alpha.
1: (laughs) So this interview is sort of going both ways a little bit here. I'm interviewing you you as as you're interviewing me. Yeah,
0: I find a few people try to
1: do that, but that's not what we're here for. (laughs) Well, well, actually, actually it sort of is because, uh, you know, it's... You're part of every each of these interviews, and uh, that's true. And uh, and then we're talking about something, you know, this this space, this real estate that we're actually within yeah. the, the the walls of right now, and it connects. That connects to you.
0: Yeah, and you know, there's there's a uh, vibes around here. There's spirit in this uh, facility. That
1: well, I've I'm told that there used to be fiddle jam sessions up here back in the before probably before my days in Columbia even. Hmm. Well,
0: I recall you or or Jack Williams saying that he used to come into town and uh, come over here in the middle of the night and play no. some. Uh,
1: that happened many many times Jack where Jack would be Jack would be up here and, and two or three or four other people yeah Columbia people that yeah. were, were around
0: We met Jack over at uh, uh, Doug Ely's place across the river at Lupus uh, for the general store music and built a relationship. He's been on the show and uh, we value that friendship too. Michael Cochran said he's going to be on this show. So now that you've been on and Jack's been on, the pressure is on Michael Cochran to get himself up here from Springfield and and uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I had the uh, I had the good fortune to meet Jack the very first, probably within the first minutes that he set foot on the streets of Columbia, back in 1972. I'm pretty sure is when it was
0: over on the. Uh, uh, what was it, Conley Street? No,
1: no. Well, it was 9th Street, and then the the the, the McAllister slash Peace Park. Oh yeah. There and, and before there was a, an Earth Day celebration. There, there was a thing that was happening every every spring called the Renaissance Fair, and it wasn't like these Renaissance. It was quite a bit different than the Renaissance fairs that the uh, where which are very retro in terms of people people. Costuming and and looking back to things from the Renaissance, mm-hmm. the the what we call it, the European Renaissance, Italy, whatever, back in the 1500s or so, whenever that was. But, but uh, there was a gathering of local musicians and mm-hmm. artists and and people just looking for. Uh, a, a, an outdoor spring celebration to be a part of, and the, he rolled into town. He was looking for people to to play mm-hmm. with, and, and somebody stirred him down to said, so "Go down to, go down to Peace Park there, or mm-hmm. McAllister Park, if it were, whatever was still named. If it was still the name, kind of carried over for a long time before it became kind of full-time Peace Park, and." Uh, and he said, "Look for a, look for this great big African American young man with, a, you know, he's going to be dressed wild, and tell him, to see if you can find him. And he, his name, he's his name is Bummer the Drummer." Yeah. And Jack found him, and yeah. some within a year or year and a half of that time, a year or two of that time. Uh, Jack put a band together that had Bummer there was a drummer in the band he played he was on the road with Jack for I don't know a year a year and a half something like that yeah I don't know the details of it they were only they would pass through here every once in a while Mm -hmm. and play but so anyway
0: yeah great histories and you're keeping up with each other uh, over at Edisto and other places yeah yeah
1: well, Jax, uh, I don't think he's on the road. Well, he, of course, uh, during this, uh, this uh, COVID-19 mm-hmm. ad- advent, he, like most musicians, has been kind of taken off the road. Mm-hmm. And I think he's probably ready at this point in his life to not be quite, quite the road warrior that he's been.
0: Well, he's back on the road a bit. Uh, yeah, but
1: gone. I don't think he's going to try to do it to the extent that he had yeah. done it for yeah, 40 years or so, yeah. even before he came to Columbia. I think this might have been his first time really going west of the Mississippi and his journeys. But yeah.
0: Well, Lee, we only got about 10 minutes left, and we want you to sing at least one other song. Um uh, and and tell our listeners, whatever you'd like to you know fill in this uh, valuable time here with uh, with your ideas or with your music, uh, you're just such a great uh, resource
1: for all of us. Yeah, well, um, what I had thought about was only singing,
0: I hear a phone ringing.
1: I think I will just lift that up and then set it down again and disconnect okay. the call. Okay. Okay, I can't answer the phone right now?
0: Sorry, folks. Uh, appreciate your calling in, but well, we're going to finish out with uh, just Lee doing his... That's one
1: of the noise. things I like about live radio is <laughs> you don't know what's when the phone's going to ring or when somebody's going to knock on the back door or a bird's going to fly into the, <laughs> the window, which he couldn't get through now. it's just, can't get to the glass on it anymore. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I've got ready to play. I'm as rusty. I'm the rustiest at playing music and singing songs right now that I've been in 50 years, probably.
0: Well... well. I,
1: I, I do Sun Radio Omega every week. That's pretty fresh. So I brought a couple things, okay. R- recordings, Okay. that were connected to KOPM. I need to take a quick look and see what this one... What I put on the CD player
0: And we can re- remind folks About this uh, Everybody's Got Love Is that the title of that CD That was made with all your friends at, Yeah uh, I
1: think let's let's go for that Let's play, let's play the title song
0: Everybody's the Got last Love last track now.
1: on this one Because it's this, is a, this was for There was a benefit in 1993 For for KOPN's twentieth anniversary, and they did this "Where the River Rolls" album. Where the just the top of this has fallen off, but it's somewhere, somewhere in my pile of stuff here.
0: But you're doing the the, the 2003. I did,
1: I did one song on that, which I think.
0: And here we are, folks, live in the KOPN studios, and Lee Ruth is just about to play from the CD that was made in 2003 called Everybody's Got Love. Actually, it
1: came out in 2004. I've got to check it.
0: Oops, 2004.
1: It sc- was made in 2003. Mostly the recording was uh, made. Not 2003. Recording. Okay, well, this is the, t- the title song, Everybody's Got Love, with a, with a wall of voices in it. There, I think 42 people came up to... Pete Skoka's studio with me, and, and we'd already done the, the, the basic tracks on it with, I think I had Bartholomew Bean on, on a guitar, rhythm guitar, on another guitar, and Annie Rue played violin on it. Ah. And then we got a bunch of people to sing, sing along with it mm-hmm. in the studio. And it's, the last, it's the last song on side one of the, and the title song for the project. Everybody's got love. Station's still got a box of box of CDs left, I think, about <laughs> twenty almost twenty years later. Anyway, I'm gonna bring it I, up. I won't I don't even need to pop the mics down. I'll just everybody can shine, everybody can shine, soul, 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 everybody's got a soul, Okay, looks like we're down to about just under two and a half minutes. I I wanted to find out how we were supposed to transition to the next show. Is it pre-recorded, or is it going to be somebody coming in to do it? Well, we don't know,
0: so we'll just play on out to our our allotted time, and uh, somebody will probably come in and take over. What you got for us now?
1: Yeah. Well.
0: You got another song
1: at five o'clock. Well, there isn't enough time to actually play anything. I got noodle around on the guitar a little bit. But well,
0: tell us about uh, Towns Van Zant. What do you know about? Have you met him?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, I or or Tom
0: Paxton or, or Tim Hardin? You rub well, shoulders I, with those guys.
1: I saw Tom Paxton on the street, and I've heard him play live a couple times, but I don't know him personally. I've talked to asked him a few questions in search of a song that I thought might have been his song, and it turned out to be. But towns, I actually I actually met him in Crested Butte, Colorado, summer of 1973 in passing and then miss, just missed him out there in 74. And 75 and 76 and 77 I got to spend, hang out there. He, we both spent a good part of several summers in Crested Butte and so I got to hang out with him a bunch, play some tunes with him and uh, get to know him a bit. It was kind of interesting. We yeah. must be polar opposites in a lot of ways. But we, we kind of connected musically and, uh, so, well, I think folks, right at five o'clock, this thing automatically goes to. Uh,
0: well, I'm going to I'm going to sign off just a little bit, okay, and then we'll see what happens. I'm going to say, friends, uh, remember. Oh, well, let me just say first well, somebody. that this is Lee Ruth, uh, we've had as our guest today, and M- Marcia, my wife, has been yes, a, a good witness here. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Remember, folks, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. And that's Lee Ruth and me and you and Marcia and this guy that just came into the studio room to all help. Oh, yeah, All right. To take over. It's been great being back live. Uh, Thanks for listening folks Thanks for your support of KOPN And uh, Keep hanging in with us